Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. Well, no artist that I can think of in the modern day um, has that kind of rock and roll attitude that the Rolling Stones had. I mean, there is no rock and roll anymore. Rock and roll is dead. Tom Cridland, host of the popular Greatest Music of All Time podcast, is my guest. He is also the owner of a sustainable fashion business. He travels the globe but lives in a pretty village in the heart of the countryside just outside Cambridge in the UK. He has interviewed everyone from David Crosby and Annie Lennox to Don McLean and Sir Cliff Richard. Tom is also a performer and as you just heard, Tom Cridland says rock and roll is dead. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. Tom Cridland was inspired to start making his own music by his friend Nigel Olsen, Elton John's legendary drummer, in 2019. Tom played a gig in all 48 contiguous US states and the following year he released his first solo album Falling Off The Rails and Tom's podcast The Greatest Music Of All Time is Climbing The Charts. Tom has plenty of views and a huge range of knowledge about the greatest music and artists of all times. And he says there is nothing today quite like yesterday's Music Rebels. I'm your host, John Aidan Byrne. Mick Jagger is a very calculating guy, but I don't know, they just, they represented something different to what these pre-packaged corporate vessels such as Justin Bieber represent. And they, these guys are very talented and they've, they've always existed, but it's just, there's, I can't imagine any of these people just going to the pub and playing like an open mic night. There is not a single modern commercial artist with any kind of rock and roll attitude. And by that, I mean, there's no one speaking out against lockdowns. Everybody's a, a vegan. Everybody's uh, health obsessed. Everybody's an exercise nut. Everybody looks fantastic and is so kind of politically responsible. And Sherlock, it's grand to have you back. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Tom Critland, host of the popular Greatest Music of All Time podcast, is my guest. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Yeah, now you're over near Cambridge, I believe, today. Yes, yes, I'm in a little village called Lilford, which is about half an hour outside Cambridge. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. I have a lot of relatives and family there. So if they're listening, 
Hi, Breach and Steve and all the family. They'll know who I'm talking about. <laughs> so anyway, I had to get that in, Tom. So I want to start this podcast with your own words. It got me thinking about you as an entertainer and an exceptional podcast presenter and producer, which we'll get into in a moment. Starting this podcast, Tom's greatest music of all time helped me that you recover from a binge drinking addiction at rock bottom my drinking had escalated to the point of consuming over 20 pints in single sessions urinating all over myself binge eating and putting on 20 kilograms in excess weight appearing drunk on national US television and sustaining serious head injuries. So this is quite extraordinary. You know, I've heard of binge drinking, but tell us what led up to this. Well, it really just was a case of my drinking getting out of control following uni. Um, I just, you know, nights out would really last till sort of four or five, six a.m. all the time. And I love socializing and being with friends but it started to get to the point you know i can easily get addicted to things it started to get to the point where the evening was a huge disappointment if nothing kind of noteworthy had happened and if we hadn't actually stayed out all night and when some people sort of said oh maybe we could just have have a quiet one tonight or just go out for one or two i would always want to kind of escalate things um very far every single time and I really got addicted to doing that and addicted to binge drinking. How long did this last? Well, it, it got kind of worse and worse. Um, you know, it wasn't like life was a living hell. But particularly in 2017, that's when I kind of noticed that I'd really put on like 30 kilos. And I had become someone I wasn't proud of. I was not able to exercise, not able to work as much as I would like to or as hard as I would like to. I was falling short on my ambitions. I hadn't really pursued music like I wanted to. Um, I, you know, this podcast wasn't even an idea at that stage. And even though, you know, I love socializing and there is such a thing as taking it too far and getting addicted to, almost addicted to being healthy and exercising too much and getting paranoid about any weight gain, there is, you know, another, another side to this. But at that time, you know, really, it was it was just too much. And I, I had to stop drinking. So what you're telling me reminds me of what I've heard other performers and people in public life expressing. They've been out on the stage with the fans and they're on some kind of a creative high, perhaps. And then they go home and it's kind of like rock bottom and they're filling some kind of a void. Was that your situation? Yeah. I mean, other than I hadn't really started performing music uh, other than in karaoke bars, but yeah, it was, it was, I guess the parallel is definitely there in the sense that after the euphoria of a night out and a big series of events and kind of crazy stories, just, just having a quiet evening, watching a movie, you know, having dinner, staying in, it just felt so anticlimactic that I felt like I had to go out all the time. And, you know, a big night out once in a while is one thing, but if you're doing it as much as possible almost every night of the week, then it starts to have a serious toll on your physical health and on your mental health too. I've seen recent photos of you for your podcast interviewing a lot of entertainers, and you certainly don't have weight on now, so that must have been quite startling, the weight gain. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty... 
I'm quite skinny naturally. I mean, too skinny, if anything, and and too weak as a result. And, you know, I have to work out to try and get stronger. Um, but, yeah, so me with extra weight, uh, I used to be called the Grinch because <laughs> I'm kind of thin everywhere and then I had a big pot belly. <laughs> mm. So were you an alcoholic? Well, I never was diagnosed and I'm uneasy um, to call myself an alcoholic in the sense that, you know, there are some people who've been to AA and had had kind of psychiatric help and had psychologists and they've sort of got a clinical diagnosis that they're alcoholics. I definitely think I had an addiction to binge drinking. I may have been an alcoholic. I might still be an alcoholic. I don't know. I mean, I have to say there have been, there have been protests from my family and my friends and, and, and others who've said, you know, you really weren't that bad. You're being too hard on yourself. That is what most people have said, to be honest. Um, but that mm. all being well, I, I think there's no problem that that I've done this, that I've turned things around and that I've stopped drinking and I've chosen a different path over the last three and a half years. Um, even if they don't think that it was as bad as I think it was, um, it, it definitely was the, the right thing to do and has improved my life so much. Well, that's a great story. And so you said that your podcast, Tom's Greatest Music of All Times, has helped you turn your life around. Tell us about that and tell us about the podcast because there's some extraordinary talent on it. Some people would call them oldies but goldies, but they're icons of the entertainment world. I'm just going through a list here. David Crosby, Sir Cliff Richard. We have Chance the Rapper, Smokey Robinson. You recently interviewed Don McLean. Tell us how all of that came about. Well, I wanted to do a podcast because I love music and I love the stories behind music and you know I wasn't actually a, fa a fan necessarily of podcasting as a genre although I've really got into it with with people like Joe Rogan kind of since I started doing it myself but I really liked the idea of meeting people because I had already established a friendship with Elton John's drummer Nigel Olsen um, and Nigel's a kind of you know an unsung hero I really think him and David Johnstone Elton's kind of longer serving band members should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But that's another story for another day. Anyway, meeting up with Nigel, having dinner with him, hearing his stories, I I can't think of a better evening. And so I kind of wanted to take a bit of that and make a professional project out of it. And so obviously I, I had Nigel on there, but as he said, we've had all sorts of people on the podcast, Annie Lennox, David Crosby, Toto, Smokey Robinson, you know, you name it. And it's been a real blessing and one of the greatest things that I've ever done. Um, it's called Greatest Music of All Time. And so it kind of falls into a couple of different categories in the sense of we get some artists to come on and talk about their music if they themselves kind of could be argued that they fall into that category of greatest of all time. You know, for me, bands like Earth, Wind & Fire, Cool & The Gang, you know, uh, the Jackson 5, these type of people who we've had on, and they are the greatest of all time for me and I think for many others. And then sometimes I get younger artists on the show and I get them to talk about who they think the greatest of all time um, would be. And, uh, and then there's a kind of third um, category where I just get public figures on and I get them to talk a bit about music, um, you know, whether it's the actress Rose McGowan, you know, um, or Jeffrey Archer. Or, uh, uh, you know, and, and then we have a discussion about current affairs or politics. And uh, 
So, you know, there's, there's kind of three sides to the podcast. There's music, there's current affairs and life stories. And then I always try and make sure that there's at least a little bit of tangible advice for the listeners, because I know that, you know, self-help is such a such a kind of popular thing at the moment. People love listening to podcasts and getting some education out of it. So I always try and get the guests to impart some of their wisdom upon my audience. The list of entertainers you've had on your podcast, it's amazing. 10CC, Bonnie Taylor, Brian McKnight, John Oates, Roisin Murphy, Douglas Murray, Rose McGowan, and so on and on. What is your takeaway about these entertainers? Do they vary in their political opinions, in their uh, life choices? You know, people who are not close to entertainers and celebrities make a lot of assumptions. Oh, they're a spoiled bunch of rats with a lavish lifestyle. They're all liberals <laughs> throwing their weight around. But is it like that? I think it really varies. And, you know, a we it depends on the guest in, in, in terms of whether we move on to things like politics you know some episodes we've just focused on the music and on their life stories sometimes we've got people on who specialize in politics and we've done just a little bit of music and and more politics um we've had you know Aubrey de Grey on the show discussing how he's working on science um to try and eliminate disease completely and get people to live to the age of 700 you know we've had some fairly wacky ones <laughs> the overriding Jeez. theme is music you know and so when we get people like cliff richard on there or david greta you know they have completely different temperaments these guys and i think it's been an exercise in people skills as much as anything else and trying to be a good listener but that's something that i'm trying to carry over into my personal life anyway you know when i was a big drinker i always wanted to talk about me 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 all the time and i know you know we're doing a podcast talking mm. about me so the narcissist in me is enjoying this greatly but I also love to try and be a good, a good listener, which is why this podcast is so healthy, because I, I never very, very rarely talk about myself in the episodes. I never say to any of these people, you know, oh, by the way, I make my own music or or I've got a fashion brand or I do, you know, whatever. I, I just focus on them. I let them have the limelight and I try not to interrupt them or go on for too long, you know. I would assume many of these entertainers are at a stage in their careers where they can speak out about issues they may not have touched in a different era. There are examples of entertainers today whose careers were crushed because they took a strong political opinion. I'm thinking of the Dixie Chicks. Um, they had to rebrand because they took a shot at George Bush. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Well, the Dixie Chicks, they fell out of favour with the Republican base, because obviously there's a lot of synergy between that base and country music fans. You know, uh, Nashville, Tennessee is very much a red area. However, I think they changed the name from Dixie Chicks to the Chicks because of the, the, the fallout um, after George Floyd's death and, and you know, the rise in, in Black Lives Matter protests. And, and, you know, as a result, the kind of the rise in in cultural things being reassessed and and kind of you know removed in some cases from streaming platforms and and you know in that case the Dixie Chicks just didn't feel comfortable being called the Dixie Chicks anymore and and I mean you're right yeah some people are very happy to speak out about politics on on the podcast you know UB40 made their feelings about Trump known 
very clearly, for example, um, you know, some people have a political background who come on, you know, whether it's Owen Jones from from the left or, or Douglas Murray from the right. You know, these guys specialize in, 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 in politics, although they, you know, they both had some things to say about music. But when it comes to getting political, yeah, some some artists don't want to don't want to talk about it. And I respect that. And I love the escapism from politics and current affairs that music brings. So, you know, a lot of these big names, they didn't we didn't talk about politics at all. But it's always interesting when they offer something, you know, David Crosby, I think, described Donald Trump as a child who's been given the keys to his father's office and has decided to start peeing all over the desk. He's a very political animal, <laughs> David Crosby. <laughs> okay. Any right-wing conservative entertainers that you can note? Um, well, I mean, the entertainment industry, you know, it, it's its very progressive. Uh, mm. I mean, I haven't spoken to him. I know that Ted Nugent is pretty right-wing. Uh, Leonard Skinner, they've been on the podcast. They're definitely right-wing. Uh, or, or maybe not right-wing, but they're definitely Republicans. Um, they definitely would have mm. voted Trump. But I don't think even they would shout too much about it, you know. Um, and there's been some controversies with Leonard Skinner and their use of the Confederate flag, from what I know, although that's not something that I went into with them. You know, I just wanted to talk about Southern rock and guitars. And, you know, they, they were they were on their on their farewell tour. And, you know, I didn't want to make things too political because it is a bit, you know, especially in America, they do seem to worm in a, a political narrative into almost everything. Um Don McLean, it's difficult to know what he where he sits politically. His his was a he's come on the show twice, and recently, you know, we did did one over Zoom, and he was shooting from the hip on a lot of subjects, and it was extremely entertaining. Politics, coronavirus, vaccines, climate change, you know, everything. Uh, even Cardi B, he talked about Cardi B's um, single, which is quite a um, you know explicit uh, single, and. Uh, I just, it made me crack up his comments on that, I have to say. <laughs> I did watch your podcast with Don. He's a sort of an enigmatic figure. Um, and yeah. I think you're right. I, I, I did have the pleasure of meeting him a long time ago. And that's a whole separate story. And I had an interesting encounter. I, I found him an enigmatic figure. He's hard to nail down. Yeah. And I listened to him being interviewed on Irish television a couple of years ago. And he mentioned how he had a lost decade almost in his career where he's fighting lawyers or record labels or whatever over royalties. That's a common theme in the entertainment field. And then the interviewer said, well, you're an entertainer, you're an artist. It's not all about the money, Don, something like that. He says, the money sure does help, he says. So I kind of got the impression that he's certainly a capitalist. Would you not say that most entertainers, by definition, must be capitalists yeah uh i think I, I read today somebody writing a comment um i think it was on twitter that everybody's left wing until it comes to paying their taxes and i think that's very, <laughs> i think that's very apt um mm. it's it's interesting when people say that they are socialists or or that they're left wing and then it kind of turns out that they expect someone else to pick up the bill for them uh, in in some cases, or or that they shouldn't have to actually contribute taxes, as as, as we just said, uh, or, or or you know they actually are extremely wealthy, but they espouse progressive values um, or socialist values. Uh, that that seems to be an, another problem. Um, it's kind of like basically just saying you're one thing, 
and actually being something totally different. You know, so many people would claim claim to be socialists when they're actually capitalists. And it's it's a bizarre kind of society that we seem to live in, in, in that sense. Uh, but Don McLean, the first time he came on the show was, um, yeah, a little bit more enigmatic. Uh, I wasn't sure how friendly he was. But the second time he came on the show, he was so warm and friendly and kind and yeah, maybe he's just uh, you know tough to kind of break down the 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 exterior initially. He seems to be having some kind of a renaissance or a comeback of sorts. I mean, he's all over the place. Of course, COVID has shut a lot of things down. We should talk about that in a moment. But he's been getting all these awards and he's getting written up because he is an icon, uh, American Pie that hit single and others that he had, uh, you can't, his name will never be forgotten. Of course not. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of America's most treasured songs. So, no, I don't think... What was it like interviewing Cliff Richard? It was a pleasure. I think he has made some fantastic records in his time. Over the summer, I bought a CD, a kind of compilation of his 80s work, and it's just phenomenally produced, you know, track... Mm like, uh, you know, Ocean Deep, even the ballad, or Carrie, um, or is it Never Say Die? There's a tune by Cliff Richard called Never Say Die. Yeah, Never Say Die, Give a Little Bit More, um, A Little In Love. There's so many wired for sound. I mean, this guy has a lot of great songs. And, uh, you know, he may not be a songwriter, and he he definitely has his cringe moments, but it was great to talk to him. I feel like he's... uh, Still feels like he's still got something to prove, you know. I think that the whole BBC um, allegation and the allegations against him a lot out of him, and he seems like a guy who has a fair amount of bitterness. Um, huh. But he was still extremely friendly. Uh, he's extremely ambitious. His ambition is infectious, and he was yeah. It was one of the more interesting um, podcasts that I've done. And this is a guy, you know, he doesn't give up. Uh, he he keeps going. Um, he's keen to prove himself time and time again. And uh, I feel like compared with some of the showbiz darlings who've had careers lasting 50 plus years, um, who haven't achieved any more success in terms of sales or charts, um, you know, they get, they're afforded a lot more love and legendary status, you know. Compare someone like Elton John or the Beatles uh, members like Paul McCartney and Ringo with Cliff Richard, you know, they've sold more or less the same amount of records. Maybe not the Beatles, but Elton and Cliff, for example, have sold about the same amount of records. Um, he's sold, he's sold, you know, probably the top five of all time. He's by no means a legend, you know, he's not really considered, um, aside from his very loyal fan base, his, 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 his reputation has been tainted. And I have to say, I think, right. I think that's a shame. Um, what do you think of those allegations? I think, you know, we live in a country where it's innocent, innocent uh, till proven guilty. Um, and, and, and so we should, you know, he was acquitted. I mean, if we're giving Michael Jackson the benefit of the doubt, why shouldn't we give Cliff Richard the benefit of the doubt? He has something in common. This is sort of a quiz with Ingelbert Humperdinck, if you know yeah, yeah. both of their backgrounds. Yeah. They're both Anglo-Indian, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's the kind of, I mean, that's w- well known to a degree about Cliff Richard, but probably not among casual fans, um, casual music fans, cl- casual Cliff Richard fans. Yeah, he does have that in common, and he's got more in common with Engelbert Humperdinck in the sense that 
both are viewed, I mean, Cliff less so, let's be fair to him, but both are viewed as sort of crooners of, of other people's material. Um, and, and then they're hardly kind of critically acclaimed. But those records are immaculate. Put those Cliff Richard 80, 80s records next to any other song, or even, you know, Devil Woman from the 70s. I mean, that's a great song. Uh, yeah, international hit. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's made some bad choices since the, since the 90s. Too many Christmas songs, too many kind of uh, pointless versions of, of other songs, you know, covers of like Foreigner and, and kind of other songs by other artists. You know, he should, he should be making albums of original material. Um, I know he did, did one a couple of years ago. Um, that, that's what he should be doing uh, if he wants to be continuing to make music. But yeah, he's, he's, uh, he, he's a very interesting character, uh, Cliff Richard. I, I love these kind of showbiz journeys that have lasted for decades. They're, they're fascinating. Well, a lot of these journeys just go on and on. The Rolling Stones in their 70s, yeah. I think one of their members got to be 80 at this point, and, and they want to go out and perform still. Yeah, and all power to them. I say, <laughs> I say anybody who says the Rolling Stones should stop um, should try growing up to be their age because it's, <laughs> it's, very, it's very easy to say, oh, I'm going to pack it in at this age. But if you want to keep going, if you want to be vital, I mean, Mick Jagger looks phenomenal for his age. He, he runs around. He's got more energy than, than I've got. Certainly, he's got more energy than most 20-year-olds, most 18-year-olds have. I mean, the guy's a rock star. Keith Richards is a rock star. These guys are so much cooler than anyone. And to be honest, anyone young, you know, they, they've got a lot to prove before they start saying the Rolling Stones shouldn't perform. Because as far as I'm concerned, the Rolling Stones represent a lost type of pop culture that, um, that you know, pretty much, well, no artist that I can think of in the modern day um, has that kind of rock and roll attitude that the Rolling Stones had. I mean, there is no rock and roll anymore. Rock and roll is dead. Really? Why do you say that? Name a good rock and roll band or, or artist who... Yeah, it's hard to who, do it. ...who is under the age of 30. Impossible. When you see the Rolling Stones and all these artists uh, of yesteryear and of today, Sir Cliff Richard and so on, they're not doing it for the money anymore. They are doing it for to keep themselves vital. Yeah, yeah, they are. And, and, and all power to them. It's cool. It's... It's good to see. It's reassuring, you know. As as Oasis said, you know, we we want to live forever, and uh, and and it's kind of it's reassuring to see these guys doing it year after year. It really is for for fans and stuff to see these guys go out. That's why COVID has been so bad. I, I love mm. I loved part of what kept me going is you know you check in on these these legends, these rock stars, and they're going to be in oh they're in Berlin now or they're in kind of. They're in Louisiana or where are they now? You know, and I'd, I'd, I'd check in the, on them and I'd YouTube their performances and it's like they're still going, you know, life goes on. No matter what's going on, rock and roll still goes on. But rock and roll is dead. There is not a single modern commercial artist with any kind of rock and roll attitude. And by that, I mean, there's no one speaking out against lockdowns. There is no one kind of, you know, everybody's a, a vegan. Everybody's uh, health obsessed. Everybody's an exercise nut. Everybody looks fantastic um, and uh, and is so kind of politically responsible. And uh, and it just seems that there are no bad guys out there anymore. And it's a bit of a shame. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, 
a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at adoptuskids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Tom Critland, host of the popular Greatest Music of All Time podcast, is my guest. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. Isn't there a kind of a economic and financial calculation by many of the promoters? If you put the Rolling Stones into a stadium, you will fill it. But if you put some of the new acts in, you won't fill it. I think some of that's got to do with the boomer population having this vast amount of wealth and also a certain amount of nostalgia. And also, let's be realistic, a lot of millennials love the acts from the 60s and 70s, from the Rolling Stones to the Beach Boys and many other artists. Yeah, that's very true. All of those are factors. I mean, the boomer generation has more money, that's that's for sure. Uh, young people, uh, many young people love those old acts. But, you know, there are still people like Ed Sheeran who can fill stadiums. There are still people like Dua Lipa commanding 35 million plus just from a single live stream. There are rappers like Drake and Travis Scott who streaming billions of, of, of streams, you know. So there is plenty of, of modern pop music being made that is phenomenally successful that fills stadiums. It's just there's no rock and roll doing that, which is a shame. But I would say that I'm a rock and roll fan. I mean, other people, understandably, couldn't care less. I mean, hit rap, as Kanye West said, rap is the new rock and roll. Uh, we the rock stars now, I think is how he phrased it. And and he's right. There are no rock stars. And, you know, maybe just a little bit of that is because we've got guys like Ed Sheeran um, giving interviews where he says he kind of monitors all of his interviews and their effect on his streams in a spreadsheet. Ah. Don't admit to that. <laughs> so numbers driven and metrics and it was becomes a science you know, take some of the, maybe the creative spirit out of it to some degree. Yeah, well, it takes the romance out of it. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I think Mick Jagger wouldn't wouldn't do that. Of course he would. Mick Jagger is a very calculating guy. But I don't know, they just, they represented something different to what these pre-packaged corporate vessels such as Justin Bieber represent. And these guys are very talented and they've, they've always existed. But it's just, there's, I can't imagine any of these people just going to the pub and playing like an open mic night. Uh, <laughs> well, you have to remember Mick Jagger went to the London School of Economics, so he's pretty good probably on spreadsheets and what he's making at the next concert. Exactly, and he's he's famous for being a pedant and for being quite stingy and also, you know, mm. not drinking or anything. But people like Keith, for example... You know, or people like Liam Gallagher sort of used to be. These guys are, have a kind of spirit that, that I feel is lacking. Have any of them taken positions on COVID? I know Van Morrison has been outspoken about the shutdowns and the fact that groups can't perform. Yeah, well, Van Morrison is the only guy out there uh, with any kind of rock and roll spirit. And the thing is, it's like, even if these guys are wrong, even if Van Morrison is wrong to take a stand against lockdown, I guess there probably should be a debate about it. I mean, as far as I know, there there have been there was somebody at the University of Bristol, a professor at the University of Bristol, predicting that half a million lives in the UK are going to be lost due to the effect of lockdowns. So lockdowns do have an impact, and they will cost lives, and people will die just as they will die from COVID, and it is all very sad. But I guess that 
for there to be a two-sided debate, um, you, you do need to have people kind of defending uh, those, you know, like Van Morrison is is not really trying to deny science, despite what the media is saying. He's more just trying to support all the roadies, all the all the people kind of lower down the ladder whose livelihoods have been destroyed by this pandemic and by the policy um, that's being used by the the, the British government, uh, the government in Northern Ireland to control it. Uh, th this is not to say that I agree completely with Van Morrison or I disagree completely with Van Morrison. It's just interesting you know, that he is the only person asking these questions in the whole of popular music, it seems. And it, it, I think it has something to do, uh, going back to what I said, um, with the lack of any kind of rock and roll attitude, you know. Even if somebody was wrong, you could imagine like, you know, I don't know, I don't even like the Sex Pistols. I don't like their music. But you can imagine the Sex Pistols kind of saying like, you know, stop lockdown. You could imagine somebody taking a stand against it, even if they were just criticised for it, you know, they want to be free, they stand for freedom and, and, and civil liberty, even if you disagree with it. And, 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 you know, there's many reasons to disagree with it, not least all the people dying from COVID. But it's just, in, yeah. it's just interesting um, that it is only Van Morrison. And you, I, I personally admire his balls for, for doing <laughs> He's a tough guy. Um, I could imagine Johnny Rotten speaking out about the uh, shutdowns, he turned out to be, interestingly enough, a Donald Trump fan. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, his interview on Good Morning Britain, uh, where he said he was a good morning, uh, uh, where he said he was a Donald Trump fan, rather. Uh, he, and, and he sort of said, you know, shut up, Piers. Uh, let, <laughs> let, let me talk now. I just, I really enjoyed that. You know, even if you're not a Trump supporter, it's funny when people, I find it funny when people like Johnny Rotten who you would expect or, or kind of, I think all those on the left uh, would definitely expect someone like Johnny Rotten to like hate Donald Trump. And, and, and he was arguing that Donald Trump was the only sensible choice for a working class person. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, I, it's interesting. All, all of this stuff, I, I, I really feel heartbroken when, when people get so polarized and pitted against each other. And uh, you know, that is really, really sad. And, and, and I think, you know, a lot of it when it comes to Trump has to do with people feel, feel like he, he is a very, a lot of people feel like he's very racist and, and uh, misogynistic and homophobic and uh, all these, all these things. And, you know, some people would argue that there's, there's not really anything beyond anecdotal evidence to, to prove this stuff. Um, and by anecdotal evidence, I mean, sort of, you know, somebody saying that back in the 70s, Trump did X, Y, Z, um, or, or, or somebody kind of taking Trump's words and saying that they mean X, Y, Z. Um, that's what his defenders argue, and they argue that very passionately. And then and then his critics um, argue just as passionately that this guy is sort of the second coming of Hitler. And uh, I, I, in a way, it's just like, I, I don't even want to get started on, on the subject, but it has, you know, it's become more and more prevalent in these podcasts. And I think what hopefully we can remember is that at the end of the day, we're all human beings here. Why are we obsessing just over one guy? It's honestly, it's insanity. The calls for unity are wonderful. I, I think Donald Trump is misunderstood, misinterpreted, language taken out of context. And we won't take a side either way on this, but his constituency, in essence, are the dispossessed of America. The people from the Midwest who've seen their factories shipped 
over to China, who've seen communities devastated by opioid addiction, who've looked aghast at a lot of the social and economic ills that prevail. And then others would say that the Democrats are dominated by coastal elites. That's sort of one of the narratives. And I'm not sure if we will ever quite nail it, but there's one thing that is very certain. Donald Trump wouldn't have emerged a generation or two ago. This is an entirely different political scenario in America and across the globe. And it's going to be much more different when we presumably come out of this COVID nightmare because we're going to have a a terrible financial bill and you know, as you alluded to, a lot of people have suffered you know, social isolation and people haven't been able to make hospital visits and jobs have been lost in the entertainment world. Roadies have lost their jobs. It goes on, it goes on and on. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I have to say, you know, the point about coastal elites, yes, of course, Trump can be criticised on many things. And, you know, by extension, I can see, you know, I can see the argument that many people are making that anybody who voted for Trump is enabling X, Y, Z. Okay, you know, I I understand that argument. But I, I, I still, despite the events of January the 6th, which were extremely serious, I still don't think that the comparison to Hitler really kind of holds water. I don't think the comparisons to... There have been many comparisons about January the 6th to various events that happened that preceded the Second World War. I'm not sure that these are relevant. I think uh, I've spoken to several um, Jewish people who found it all quite disrespectful um, when they've had people who they've lost in the Holocaust. And and I just, you know, it all, it all makes me uneasy to see Trump supporters being added to these blacklists and things like that that you see. I mean, Good, good luck to them. If that's the way that they 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 want to do it, then 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 great. I'm sure that will achieve unity. But I can definitely put myself in the shoes of someone who has lost their job, who is being lectured on a bunch of stuff that has absolutely no relevance to their life by billionaires in Silicon Valley and celebrities um, who are on Twitter and other platforms. You know that perhaps uh, Trump supporters aren't even on that much. Trump voters. You know, Twitter doesn't have that many users. It's got, I think, 300 million in the whole world. Obviously, that's a lot of people, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, that's every single country in the whole world. Um, so, so it, it, it really stands to reason that Twitter is not representative of, um, of the countries as a whole. And it's definitely not representative of the type of people, you know, the deplorables as, as Hillary Clinton called them. And, and it's not even a case of like liking Trump per se, or, uh, you know, what, I, I think there are some good policies that Trump put in, like, um, you know, for example, the fact that he started no wars and the, the peace deals and and his reckless rhetoric and, and his refusal to accept the election results have, have kind of tainted his, his legacy. Uh, Cause there were quite a lot of policies that I think were actually pretty good. Um, but you know, I can see regardless of that, take away the policies and, and take, take away anything other than Trump is a big, you know, F you to all of the, the, the establishment to all of the, you know, the Jack Dorsey's at Twitter and the Mark Zuckerberg's and the Jeff, you know, Jeff Bezos, who, who's now trying to kind of, um, ban 
postal ballots um, for the unions at Amazon to ensure he can continue to underpay them. I mean, a lot of Americans feel left behind and they just want to rally around someone who the establishment consider to be unacceptable. Um, and that's Trump. You know, Trump is it has turned himself into this kind of pariah. And that's why people will, will, will want to vote for him. People who've been left behind, who feel that they themselves are pariahs, who who uh, don't belong in this new society. Um, it's 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 quite a complicated thing, really, isn't it? Um, and and maybe it's a difficult calculus to sometimes understand. I have a very good friend in the black community. He's now a successful businessman. He's been in a few movies. He just launched a magazine, and he grew up in a ghetto. And he said his early experiences of growing up in that ghetto were sheer desperation. He said there was just no hope for a lot of people there. It was, he didn't say it in these words, but it was a democratic stronghold and it was a welfare zone. And we're not speaking here out against welfare. People should be taken care of who are suffering and there should be some kind of relief, whether it's through charitable organisations whether it's the government has to step in or done done in a, in a good way. But his hero was Donald Trump. He said he was the man who gave hope to many people in the black community. And he said he was inspired at a very early age at school by Donald Trump's book, The Art of the Deal. And he read that book and he took it to heart and he you know, he lost his mom and dad at a very early age, but he succeeded despite the odds, went on to get an education, left the ghetto and uh, built a huge gymnasium, went into entertainment, launched his magazine. And he's just one example of a black American who believes in the word of Trump. And if you looked at the last election, Trump's black vote was considerable. It had increased. And part of that can be explained by his policies on judicial and prison reform. A lot of black Americans were released under uh, Trump's program and and they will never forget that. And there's also another program which people never seem to uh, bring up in the Republican blueprint. They had an objective of creating 500,000 new black-owned businesses. That was one of their policies. Now, it may sound that we're taking sides here Tom, we try to cover both sides, but we have to we have to lay out the facts. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's very important, and um, you know the, the the facts are that there were some good things about Trump policy wise and about his presidency. Um, you know, for example, African American unemployment was at an all time low, but it feels like whenever one brings up these facts that you're at risk of having your head blown off uh, because, you know, such is the, the nature of him as a figure now that he's, you know, he's extremely divisive. But yeah, you're right in, in about, you know, it's interesting what you said about your, your your friend there because before Trump ran for president, you know, he was being name-checked in, in rap songs. He was in Home Alone. He was like a kind of darling of the hip-hop community and of pop culture community in general. More or less, you know, he he had people who hated him, but he was doing all the chat shows. He was doing the rounds. You know, he was on Howard Stern all the time. Howard Stern loved him. 
And now Howard Stern hates him because, surprise, surprise, Howard Stern is a pragmatist. And, you know, the, the sort of the general vibe in Hollywood is that Donald Trump is an evil guy. He's Hitler. So um, so that's what, you know, Howard Stern's going to go along with. I mean, I'm not saying there's no validity to uh, to uh, and no sincerity to Howard's new kind of stance on Trump. But it is just interesting. He used to be on all those shows. He used to do all the rounds. And now, you know, would they even have him on again? It's it's extraordinary. But again, we're not taking sides in this, but I like to bring up those points that seem to get overlooked conveniently by many in the media. And that's part of the problem, too, probably for the Republican Party, the, the, the filters that are used to present Trump's accomplishments and agenda. They, they never seem to get a lot of airtime. And of course, that's not to say that there are many things over the years that they, the Democrats have done for working Americans, and they need to be applauded for that. But American history is changing. We're in a very different time uh, than we were even 20, 30 years ago. No, it's, it, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, it's important to give both sides of American politics the, the due credit and to, to not kind of um focus on the narrative which is that which is that you know uh trump and and some of his policies are, are overlooked you know mm-hmm. I, I can't state enough how bad J- J- january the 6th was it is completely destroyed his his legacy amongst most people who sit in the center somewhere and the american media you know fox news and newsmax and one american network are completely mm-hmm. biased pro trump and then, you know, NBC, CBS and CNN are completely and ridiculously biased pro-Biden. I mean, it's just... And, and on January the 6th, you know, anybody in their right mind and any uh, decent person would condemn utterly the storming of the Capitol. That was just totally outrageous. Uh, five people lost their lives. Something very sad and obviously tragic about it. And, of course, you would ask the other obvious question, where was the security? That has left me with a very strange taste. Yeah, yeah, I think it's um, it's a question that a lot of people are asking, you know, particularly after 9-11. Why was there such a lack of security that day? But, I mean, in any case, I think it was a reckless decision to hold the rally. And I think, you know, given the fact that here we are and – you know, from Trump's perspective, why why did he do it? He was yeah. going to overturn the results. He was always probably likely to want to run again in 2024. Now he may not even get the chance to do so as a result of that. So from his perspective, I don't see why he did it. And of course, I can see, uh, um, you know, why he why he's being impeached and uh, and why that whole thing. Uh, is continuing in spite of Biden taking office and calling for unity. You know, there are some valid arguments as to why they would continue that process. Tom, I want to uh, just quickly before we wrap up, you have a sustainable fashion business and that hosts your podcast, The Greatest Music of All Time. Just tell us about that. So I started that five years ago, more or less. And we make sustainable fashion, as you said. So our most famous garment is the 30-year sweatshirt, which is a sweatshirt that comes with a three-decade guarantee. So if anything happens to it within that 30-year period, we fix it for free or we replace it for free in, in an unlikely scenario that it really needs replacing. But essentially, you know, we guarantee that it will last for at least 30 years, which 
a decent sweatshirt should, but I think it's just a kind of it's underlining our commitment to making the clothing properly and uh, and to making wardrobe staples properly. But yeah, we do things like the 30-year sweatshirt, the 30-year t-shirt, chinos. We do kind of wardrobe staples. And uh, it's been it's been an incredible ride with that clothing business. I started it with a government startup loan of six grand um, when I graduated from uni. I'd never done anything like it before. And it got a lot of press and, it, and it's enabled me to, to pursue passions in podcasting and music and to kind of create a, a little brand, you know, a little independent brand for myself. Where can people find out about us? At TomCridland.com. TomCridland.com, you can find out about my fashion brand, uh, about my music, about uh, the greatest music of all time podcast, and, uh, you know, a little bit about uh, everything tying it together, the story tying it together. Well, you've done 270 episodes last I checked, and there are more episodes coming up. Any interesting guests you want to mention here coming up? Uh, we've just done, just released today, episode 285, uh, featuring Steve Hackett of Genesis. So that's a, a very interesting. Yeah, yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to that. And so it's Tom's greatest music of all time. If they Google that, is that the way to get us on get yeah, the podcast? If you, in, if you just type in greatest music of all time, then, then, you'll, uh, then, you'll, then it will come up um, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, YouTube, anything, you know, or Tom Cridland. Hey, Tom Cridland uh, of the Greatest Music of All Time podcast. You have your own sustainable fashion business, which hosts the podcast. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much, John. It was a pleasure chatting to you. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.